Sadducees came to him, that him is Jesus, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, um, Moses wrote for us that if a brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, then he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. But Jesus said to them, Is not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Oh God, you have uh, spoken to your people in past time through the prophets. But in these last days, you have spoken to us through your son, our Lord Jesus the one by whom the world was created, the radiance of your glory, the imprint of your nature. O Lord Jesus, you uphold the universe by the word of your power. Holy Spirit, could you please make it such that we engage with what we see here in your written word on on a heart level, not as a puzzle or a novelty or some theological gamesmanship, Please show us our Lord. All the scriptures you have inspired point to him. Show us our Savior. What a shame it would be for us to have Jesus speaking in this story and not really hear him. Please give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick us off by reading something that sounds Bibly, but is not in the Bible. Because all good sermons start in this way. No, they don't. Uh, this is a Hebrew text that was written about a hundred years before the story we're reading about happens. 
Okay? So l- listen to how it goes. And the person who wrote this doesn't agree with this. It says in the beginning, but catch it. It says, for they reason unsoundly, but here's what they're saying, saying to themselves, short and sorrowful is our life, and there is no remedy when a life comes to its end, and no one has been known to return from Hades, for we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we shall be as though we had never been, for the breath in our nostrils is smoke. And the reason is a spark kindled by the beating in our hearts. When it is extinguished, the body will return to ashes. And the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Our names will be forgotten in time. And no one will remember our works. Our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud. And be scattered like mist that is chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat. Our allotted time is a passing of a shadow, and there is no return from our death because it is sealed up and no one turns back. Well, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the teachings of the Sadducees, what I just read is probably a pretty good representation of how they saw life and death, particularly as it pertains to the resurrection. They did not believe in it. A little more background on the on the Sadducees. Uh, we learn through one of their interactions with Paul in the book of Acts that they don't also believe in angels. So no resurrection, no angels. The only way they saw themselves as being able to carry on past themselves was through their family. So their family tree and their lineage was very important to them. They were a minority group in Israel at the time that we're reading in Mark, but they were wealthy. And often powerful. They also only read the first five books of the Old Testament as authoritative. So the Pentateuch, or what they call the laws of Moses. That's it. Anything beyond that, and they think you're getting off into, eh, you can read it, but it's not binding. They were aligned with the priesthood in some way. Uh, We're not really sure what that was, but it's clear enough that that was true. They also disappear with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. That's a lot about the Sadducees. So how are we going to do this sermon? Um, Well, I have three parts. Okay, First part is the Sadducees missing everything. And that is in verses 18 to 27. And the second part is a scribe that is on to something. Okay, And that's verses 28 through 33. And the third part is really more of a reaction than a full-on chapter. Okay? But that's a reaction in verse 34, which I've titled, The Secret to Having It All. So you didn't know that Pastor Tim would have a prosperity pastor in here. But, you know, we'll we'll see what happens when we get there. Um, Jesus also points out two things that I think are going to help tie it all together for us, but we're going to see that when we get there. But those are our three things. Missing everything, the Sadducees, onto something, this scribe, and the secret to having it all. So first part, Sadducees missing everything. I don't know if you've noticed this. But sometimes the question that you hear is not actually the question. So if you hung out at all with my kids, you would not be surprised if this afternoon one of my two kids, the two that can speak, come up to me and say, hey, Dad, yeah, are you done with your work? Yeah, I preached. We're done. Nice. Hey, Dad, does this room look really clean to you? Like, Yeah, it looks pretty clean. Hey, Dad, is the weather outside good? 
Yeah, it looks it looks nice. It looks sunny. Hey, Dad, does the car work? Yeah, it usually works. And I know that one of two questions is coming next, right? If we've just had lunch and they're full, hey, Dad, can we go to the park right now? And then I have to answer it, right? Or if they're hungry, hey, Dad, can we go to Chick-fil-A right now? And that's an easy one because it's Sunday, so the answer is no, right? <laughs> but you can see how, like, the questions are at, they don't care about the car. They actually don't even care if that room's clean. All the questions le- are leading up to the actual question, right? We have something like that going on with the Sadducees, okay? Uh, my kids are the cutest things in the world, and the Sadducees don't strike me that way. So there are some dissimilarities. But I do think that there is a question behind the question. So let's, let's peel back the layers a little bit and see if we can discern both of those. Now, the, the question, the surface question, comes to us in three parts, right? We have a law, we have a scenario, and we have a request for adjudication. All right, so let's look at the law. Now, the law that the Pharisees are referencing is in Deuteronomy 24, and it's a law about the leveret marriage. Okay, we usually call it that from the Latin. So levir means brother, and marriage, you put it together, brother marriage. Okay, and uh, if you want to see this worked out in other places in the Bible, you can go to Genesis 38, and you can go to the book of Ruth. Um, the purpose of the law, according to the Sadducees, is to raise up offspring for a fallen brother and continue his house, right? You think, oh, I don't know about that. No, that actually is right. If you go back to Deuteronomy 24, that's what the law is for, to help the brother carry on his lineage. So, listen, I have questions about this. If you grew up in America in modern times, I'm sure you have questions about it, too. Let me just tell you something, though. I don't think they had questions about it. Okay, this is not out of the blue for them. They have been studying these laws all their lives. They have been discussing their applications at length. So it's not like they're caught off guard. They're like, ooh, what? I didn't know that was in there. No, they did. They knew it was in there, and they're happy to talk about it. So I don't think, I don't think the question or the discomfort is there. All right? The scenario. We get to this scenario, which might seem to you like a little bit of overkill, and pun definitely intended there. So we don't have seven brides for seven brothers. We have, we have one bride, right? And seven brothers. And we have a marriage, death, marriage, death, marriage, death, seven times until the wife also dies. And this is important to, to their argument. There is no offspring. The point of the law was for the brother's house to produce offspring and carry on his house. And there's no offspring. So that's the scenario. So when they come with their request for adjudication, Mark has helped us with this because he's told us from the very beginning, in the very beginning of the passage, it says, and the Sadducees, the ones who believe there is no resurrection, how does their question go? Hey, Jesus, in the resurrection, which they don't believe in, whose wife is she going to be? Because they all had her as wife. Right? So we know this is not a, this is not a sincere question. This is just a, a, a hypothetical scenario that they think Jesus should be adjudicating for them. Well, what's the underlying question? That might be a little harder for us to get at. I think Jesus saw it right away because he actually answers more than one question in his reply. What do you think the underlying question is from them? I'll give you a hint. It is not, can we go to the park or can we go to Chick-fil-A? Well, let's think about it. Where did the law for the Leverett marriage in Deuteronomy 24 come from? Well, it came from Moses, right? And who's Moses? Well, he's giving it to them from God. So God has given them this law. Well, what is it meant to do? Well, it's meant to fix something, right? Okay, in the scenario, 
does it fix that thing? No, it doesn't. It doesn't fix it. So I, I think the underlying question is something like this. Jesus, if God gave Moses a law meant as a repair to sustain and perpetuate life in this life, and it doesn't always work, how can you possibly expect God to pull off a resurrection from the dead? Let me say that again. If God, through Moses, gave us this law, meant as a repair to sustain and perpetuate life in this life, and it doesn't always work, how can you possibly expect God to pull off a resurrection from the dead? Well, I think if we we take that as the underlying question, it makes a lot of sense of the answer we get from Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just start off answering their question. He has three parts to his answer. The first is an explanation of why they are wrong. You can see that in verse 24. He says, are you not wrong? It's a question, right? But he's like, no, no, no. You are arguing for a position. There's more than one question coming at me right now. Are you not wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? And then he does answer the surface question in just a verse, very simply. And actually a little humorously, we'll get there. And then he answers the underlying, more serious question by the end. So if we look at the uh, the verse 24, we see that, you know, they Jesus says, I mean, he's recognizing this as more of a mockery of the scriptures. And he says, are you not wrong because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God? When we get to the, his answer for the surface question, it's a pretty simple answer. Now, what is the one thing that we also discover in the scriptures themselves. We know they don't believe in the resurrection, but earlier I said in Acts, Paul has an interaction with them and he discovers they don't they don't believe in something else. He would he would have known, but he mentions they don't believe in something else. They don't believe in angels. That's right. They don't believe in angels. Well, what is Jesus's answer to them? He says, "Well, in the resurrection we're not married or given in marriage. That's all done. We're like the angels." So he's he's basically telling the, the Pharisees, "Look, you've come to me with a question about a situation that you don't even believe is a thing. You don't believe in the resurrection. So I'm, I'm going to answer, I'm going to fix this for you with another thing that you also don't believe and tell you you're going to be like angels. And like, okay. But, you know, he doesn't call it a day. He keeps going and he answers the underlying question. And this is where I think the meat of the discussion is at. Now, question for you again. Where would you go if you were going to talk about the resurrection? You're like, I've got a friend, kind of doubts the resurrection. I'm going to go somewhere in the Bible. Now stop. I'm going to make it harder for you. You have to go to the Old Testament. You can't do it in the New Testament. It talks about it a lot there. I think you'd have to, I, I, I actually had to think about it for a little bit. When, but when I came up with like places I could go, I found, I found some verses in Daniel. I found some good Psalms that would talk about it. Some memorable verses in, in Job. I thought, yeah, that would be, those would be okay places. Well, where does Jesus go? He goes to Exodus, end of two, beginning of verse, of chapter three. He goes straight to Exodus. Now, why does he do that? Well, I was thinking about that too. I said, well, we know that the Sadducees only, they only buy into the first five books of the Bible. 
So, I mean, he could have kept going with the angel thing and started quoting psalms and other things that they didn't believe in. Maybe enough of that. I'm going to accommodate them and go to a place that they'll listen, you know, listen to what I have to say. And I think that might be going on because it would have been a hard conversation to have had he gone to those other places to have with the Sadducees. But the more that I've thought about it, the more actually this is like a perfect place to go. Like despite all those other verses, this is exactly where the, 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 the Sadducees need to look. And it heightens the irony for them because these are their books, right? And they've got the answer to their question staring them in the face in their books. They're just not hearing it. They're not having it. And, and Jesus is drawing them to a, a point where you either have to accept that this is a thing or just, just stop pretending. And so we go to Exodus 2 and 3. And uh, that's, the, that's the passage that we read this morning. So it's fresh in your mind, right? So the end of, end of chapter 2. I think the setting is important here. They call it the, the, the passage about the bush because they don't have chapters and they don't have verses, right? So he just recalls the passage about the bush. So if you're, if you're the Sadducees or the other people listening in and you're thinking, okay, where's the passage about the bush? It's in Exodus. What's happening with the passage about the bush? Well, we know, we know that, that God has, has just heard the cry of his people. We know that. We, we know that he's remembering his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that he can, he can see what they're going through. It says at the end of, of chapter 2 that God knew. There was nothing that was escaping his notice about, about this situation. And then what is it that catches, catches Moses by surprise? This is not a leveret marriage situation where it's a surprise to us but not to them. This is a surprise to everybody. Okay, Moses is looking on. He's keeping his sheep in Midian, and he sees a bush that just won't burn out. It's been burning for a while, and it continues to burn. That's also unusual, okay? He gets there. He hears from God. This is going to be the, the situation in which a lot of events are going to start right now. God is going to start acting powerfully on behalf of his people, not just burning bush stuff, but he's going to bring the civilization of Egypt to its knees. He's going to pull his people out of slavery. He's going to deliver them from their enemies. He's going to pull them. He's going to bring them safely through the sea. He's going to bring them safely through the wilderness. He's going to bring them into the the Canaan land, the promised land to possess. This is the beginning of God being incredibly powerful, okay? Which is significant because Jesus is saying you're missing the scriptures and you're missing the power of God, right? God is not someone who is weak or unable. We're also mentioning this, this family tree, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that can kind of ring in our ears like, yes, I know. I've heard those names many, many times. But back up. Why do we have an Isaac? We have an Isaac because a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old wife had a baby. That's not a thing that's supposed to happen, right? But God made that happen. So this is flooding, hopefully our minds too, but like the minds of, of this story with images of an incredibly powerful God. But that doesn't quite answer the question of, yeah, okay, but when my spirit's done, it, it turns to vapor and we're all over now, right? It's like, well, that, that's, that's what Jesus answers with his quote from this passage. He says to them, does not God say in the, in the passage about the bush that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And he says, God is not the God the dead, but of the living. And with that, he argues that God is speaking about himself this way because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive to God beyond the grave. This is not a marriage situation. 
where death ends that covenant between two people. This is a situation where God is alive. And he sustains your life in a way that that covenant remains, implying a resurrection in the future. And to them, Jesus says, you are quite wrong. Now, it's also interesting to point out that Jesus has forecasted his own death and resurrection three times up to this point in Mark. So it's, it's clear that, that Jesus knows this is, this is going to be indisputable in a little bit, people, uh, because I'm going to be resurrected from the dead, but that, that hasn't happened yet. They're arguing from the Old Testament, and that will play a factor later when we, when we talk about the scribe. But what are the two things that he's saying, this is how you missed it? This is how you missed it, Sadducees. The two things are you're ignorant of the scriptures and you're ignorant of the power of God. And how does he get them less ignorant about the power of God or attempt to do so? Well, he brings them to the scriptures, right? And he shows them. He reminds them this is where we see the the power of God. I think it's good to maybe, we'll we'll get to this at the end, but it's probably good to bring one application point forward. Because it it also is another thing where, um, in the Sadducees situation, Jesus brings the the Sadducees back to the story that God has told. Now the Sadducees obviously are living according to their own story. It's not 100% sure that that thing I read at the beginning is their story, but it's something like that. All right? They've got their own story, but God, God is actually telling his story, not, not ours. And he's telling it on his terms, not on the terms of the Sadducees. And God is a God that can, obviously, very powerful. And God is a God that cares. He's in covenant with his people, and he hears their cry. And we can look to the scriptures and understand, and we're going to see that with the scribe, something about the story that God is telling. But it's not to confirm whatever story we want to tell ourselves, which seems to be what the Sadducees were doing. They, they were using God as a prop, and he was composed of other props in the way that they, they, they believed and presented their material. They, they missed what God was saying in the scriptures. They missed his power, and they were, they were quite wrong, or your, your version might say greatly mistaken. And let's not, uh, even though some of this is maybe strange to our ears, uh, let's not assume that our capacity for self-deception is somehow less than theirs. I actually think that's the point of, of connection between us and the Sadducees. It would be very possible, I, I think, I've done it, to read the Bible and see something that's not there because I want it. And, uh, and that's not what we're meant to do, and I think that's what the scribe doesn't do. So let's keep going and see what he does do. We have a scribe now, it's part two, that is on to something. So it turns out a scribe is listening in on this conversation. And uh, a scribe's job, just so you know, normally when I hear scribe, I just hear a guy that's going to like write all day long, right? Because that's what they do. They're, they're scribing, you know, or something like that. Um, what they also did and what they were meant to do was to read the Old Testament and interpret it. So that's, that's his job. Some Pharisees were scribes, but not all scribes were Pharisees. Mark doesn't tell us anything about that. He just says he's a scribe. That's all we get. And this guy is is identified up front kind of like the Sadducees were, but the opposite way. So with the Sadducees, he said, look, they don't believe in the resurrection. Notice their questions about the resurrection. These guys are not sincere. And he helps us out. Here, he says, this scribe is listening in, and he's he's hearing that Jesus has just answered these people well. And so he he gives his question then. So he's coming to Jesus in, in this 
in this part of the passage in good faith. Like he's, he's not trying to play a trick, nothing shady here. I think that's what we're meant to take from his, his introduction. And there are four parts to their interaction. It's going to sound more complicated than it is. I'm going to cover like the first three parts in two minutes, all right? The first part is the scribe has a question. The second part is that Jesus has an answer. The third part is that the scribe has a reaction. And the fourth part is that Jesus has a reaction to the reaction. Okay? So those are our four things we're going to talk about right now before we get to the end of this sermon. Um, what's the scribe's question? Number one, which is the greatest commandment, right? That's his question. That's point one. Okay? Point two is Jesus' answer. Jesus gives an answer. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. He says, well, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So, so Jesus takes these commands to love God and to love one's neighbor as distinct but inseparable and greater than all those other, other commandments. And what is the scribe's reaction? Point number three. Well, it seems like the scribe is beside himself in agreement, right? He doesn't, he doesn't repeat exactly the words. Now, there is some variation in the language. I think he's trying to affirm everything that Jesus said, so don't get confused by that. But he does say one thing that Jesus didn't say in his statement, which is very interesting. He says, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, same so far, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So there's an extension. Well, before we try to figure that out, let's just see how Jesus hears that. Point four. Jesus' reaction to the reaction. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. So whatever Jesus just said just now was, was the mic drop, right? Off the stage. So I have a question for you. Why does Jesus say to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God? To me, that's a little bit confusing, right? Because you don't, you don't almost win the lottery. You aren't a little bit pregnant. And as far as I knew, you know, you are either in the kingdom of darkness, right? Or you're in the kingdom of his marvelous light. So what is this not far business in the middle? What is Jesus trying to say? Well, let's, let's think about it. Is he trying to say, I think you're on the right track. Um, study a little harder. And you might get the whole picture. And then you can be in God's kingdom. Is that what Jesus is saying to the scribe? No? You don't think so? I don't think so either. Uh, is it? I, 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 like, I like what you did there uh, with, with the sacrifices. That was good. But this is actually a multi-part quiz. All right? So come back tomorrow. We'll see how you do again. If this keeps working out, then in the kingdom. Is that it? Yeah? Is that the answer? No, I don't think, I don't think so either. Uh, is it? The commitment level of the scribe to Jesus, 
Um, so he's crossed the political divide at this point, we can see in the story, right? He's been talking to these religious leaders, it seems like, all day, maybe multiple days. Okay, he's done his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's already had it from the, from the chief priests and the elders. And then after that, he tells a parable in which they all want to kill him and arrest him, but they can't because of the crowd. So the, then the, the Pharisees and the Herodians come at him with a question. Jesus emerges victorious. Then he talks to the Sadducees like we've just talked, you know, talked about. And now we're, we're to this scribe. And he's not doing that. He's not, he's not doing all that stuff where he's trying to take Jesus down. He actually wants to learn something. Okay? So is it the commitment level? He's crossed the political divide from opponent to peer. But time will tell if he's, if he's willing to follow Jesus as a disciple. Mm, you know, I honestly don't know. There might be a grain of truth there. Um, but I think we should remember that we should remember that Jesus is not criticizing the scribe. He's not saying, almost, but not quite. Swing and a miss. Better luck next time. He's not saying that. He's saying, oh my goodness, you are, you are actually walking in the correct direction with your question. This is, a, this is a great thing that is happening in front of me, that you would read the law and, and actually hear my explanation and be like, yeah, that makes sense of everything now. That's a good thing. Okay? So I don't think we're looking for, like, why isn't he in the kingdom yet? I think we're looking at a person who is understanding the law of God. And perhaps, I, I mean, honestly, I think we're meant to think about this. I think Mark has written in a, this in a way where he's like, you should think about what this means. And so this, this is me thinking about it, okay? So whether, the, whether there is truth in the, the discipleship thing, I, I don't know. I looked at that and I was like, maybe. But, but this, is, this is how I think it fits into our passage as a whole. What did he tell the, to the Sadducees? He said, look, guys, you are ignorant of the, the scriptures, and you're ignorant of the power of God. Okay? Both things. Bad situation to be in. He meets the scribe, and he comes to the scribe, you are actually not ignorant of the scriptures. You, you are getting those. You are seeing those. You are seeing that you can have love of God that is perfect, and you, you can have love of neighbor that is complete. And you can have, why do we even need these, these burnt offerings and sacrifices anymore? These are the important things happening. You're, you're getting that, actually. But, but has this scribe seen the power of God? Well, I don't, I don't think so. He could go back to Exodus 2 and 3, and he could see it there. But does he see it standing right in front of him? I don't think he does yet. And I think that's why we're not far. We're not far because you're, you're reading the Bible and you're reading the Bible correctly. And so you are, you are set up to see what I'm about to do. But who I am is actually not teacher. Who is Jesus? He's the, he's the God man, right? And he's not just the God man. He's the sacrifice and he's not just the sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. When we see someone who can join those two things together, when we see a situation in which perfect love of God and perfect love of neighbor happens, where do we see that? We see that on the cross, right? And that's about to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And then what happens after the cross? We have the resurrection. So can this scribe say with Paul, at this point, you know what? I, I 
have been crucified with Christ, and yet I'm living. You know? But it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not yet. But I think Jesus is saying, if you keep reading the Bible, you're going to see that it all points to me. Three reminders as we close. All right? Reminder number one, we've already had, but we should probably update it. Okay? God is telling our his story, not ours. Right? We've already talked about that with reference to Exodus 2 and 3. But we should update it with this, that the power of God shown to us is shown to us in Christ. Christ is the better Moses. Christ is the better representative. Christ is the 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 better sacrifice and Christ is the one that we know because he lives we will also live that's where we get it and that's the story that that God is telling we should also be remember, remembering that that Christ is actually everything in this story you know Christ is the perfect sacrifice Christ is the lion of Judah Christ is the God with us you know Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the imprint of God's nature. Christ is the one in whom all things hold together, the one with all power and authority and dominion. You know, we could spend another sermon just going over the excellencies of Christ, right? And I think that's what we'll find, is that Christ is the center of everything. The third thing to remember would be that in Christ, we receive a beautiful inheritance. So it's in Christ that we are rich. You know, I was listening to a, a, an atheist on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was quoting one of his favorite authors, uh, Rainier Maria Rilke. And this, this quote goes like this. Does the outer space into which we dissolve taste of us at all? Kind of reminds you of the Sadducees, right? Maybe it's not a, a dead and forgotten way of thinking altogether yet. Does the outer space into which we dissolve taste of us at all? And this atheist's point was, in quoting this, is that I think we all hope that the answer is yes. You know, from the atheist to the, the agnostic to whatever religion, we all hope that, like, this isn't just a pointless exercise in futility. But what we hope in matters next, right? Because it's, it's actually, it's actually the Lord. The thing that all the world wants, we have in abundance in Christ, which is a sure hope. We know the scriptures and we know the power of God in the scriptures and we see Jesus there and we see that he's our savior and that he's our redeemer and that he's our resurrection. And as I said before, because he lives, we will also live. And then we see because of that, We don't have to actually build a legacy for ourselves. We can live zealously, but we can also rest completely in the work of Christ. Blessings, 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 but all glory to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we see in your scriptures 
uh, your power. And we also see our Jesus. He's our Savior and our God. There is no weakness in him, and there is no shadow of turning with you. We experience no lack, and we have a sure hope. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.